how are you doing? Tell me about life. Uh, yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I am, um, <laughs> I've got a bunch of holiday to you, so I'm on leave basically until the 6th of April. Okay. Um, what, what is this um, thing hanging behind you? <laughs> it is a tapestry that is never ending that I'm working on. You're working on? Yeah, I'm making it. Right, hold one second. Ellie, can I borrow you for one, one second? Okay. Um, I'd like you to come and look at the tapestry that Nora is creating. It's abstract. <laughs> it's not like it's not like a medieval tapestry. It's... No, I know, I know it's not a medieval tapestry. <laughs> it's like the tapestry. <laughs> yeah. it's, she's, it's... she's got it very casually hung behind her, like I wasn't going to ask questions about oh, it. Like, no. <laughs> uh, is it macrame? Is yeah, it macrame? It's a macrame, it's a macrame yeah. tapestry. It's very nice. Ellie says it's very nice. Thank you. Do, do you want it? I don't know what to do with it she once I'm done. Oh, just, she, she says, do you want it? She doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Do you want the plant part? Yeah, like a plant holder. Does, does she, like... she, you want a hanging one? Well, I have extras because I just make them because I'm bored. So I will send she you She has one. extras. She's just making them because she's bored. Yeah, I'm in. Ellie okay. suggests she's in. I'm writing down because I do have a like an order list now. Uh, wow. <laughs> Your hair looks it, very nice this evening, Nora. It is my, I didn't want to wash my hair today hair. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's worked out wonderfully. It looks, it looks great. Thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like now, cause I, I felt so glum like the last few weeks have been really like, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I no, I mean for like everyone because it, we're kind of, we can feel like, we're at the tail end of the worst of it, but we're yeah, just not there hopefully. yet. <laughs> Ellie is um, having a wonderful evening without me. She is currently <laughs> she's currently sat with a face mask on, with massive headphones on, about to watch the Kardashians. Oh, how's the new the last season, Ellie? This is this is it. This is is this the first episode of the new season you've watched. Season twenty, the last one. Yeah, it's the first one she's watched of this season. Yeah. And do you have any sympathy for them? Uh, I don't think you've never had any sympathy for them, have you, Ellie? You're just interested in them. I've had loads of sympathy for them. Oh, oh what is, how does uh, she feel about Chloe getting back together with Tristan? How do you feel about Chloe getting back together with Tristan? You just want what, sorry? She wants, oh, she wants True to have a family. Oh, she has forgotten. the entire Kardashian. She doesn't need more. She has the entire Kardashian, she doesn't need more. <laughs> She does. She does. I've got no context for who any of these people are. Oh, okay. And true is of oh, their baby. Okay. I mean, the fact that you could could have waited until after she had the baby to, you know, <laughs> get it on. Okay. Ellie says goodbye. She's going in. She's watching Kardashians. This is it. Okay. <laughs> She's out. I do have an appreciation for reality TV. Us too. We we. We've been trying very hard to watch like worthy, good <gasps> TV, but well, I, no, we've literally been doing the same thing, and we've started doing Worthy Wednesday to make sure we don't only watch trash TV. <laughs> That's very good. So every Wednesday, uh, there's like three of us. We rotate each week, picking a different film randomly, okay. but it has to be like a worthy film. What have you watched so far? Well, the last week we watched a um 
Orson Welles film, The Stranger. So wow. you know, film noir, that was quite good. But the week before we watched Antonio Banderas's Pain and Glory, which was unbelievable. I cannot recommend okay. that enough. And it's Antonio Banderas. <laughs> so beautiful. <laughs> so I feel like someone was t- talking about this to me recently for some reason. So if you really want like a uh, sink your teeth into really good worthy film and just hot guys. Oh, know. it's new. It's new. It's new, isn't it? Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like his most recent thing. So, so good. Uh, did it, is it directed by, oh, he did Giulietta, which I saw. Oh yeah, it was Giulietta. I'm thinking of Giulietta was really fucking good. Um, okay, cool. I will check it out if I get a chance. He looks great still, doesn't he, old um, um, Tony Banderas? Yeah. I, I mean, you just still got it. <laughs> um, but what have you guys been watching that's worthy? So, in fact, I think I've got um, a list of the TV we have been watching. Well, I mean, no, no this is that worthy. Um, we finally watched Queen's Gambit. Ooh, which, so good! Which we liked. Just, yeah. Um, we tried The Serpent, which is like a BBC uh, true crime thing, um, but couldn't really get into it. Um, it's not worthy, but we watched Behind Her Eyes, the Netflix show. Yeah, Zoe watched it. She said he liked, she liked it, but wasn't, you know, anything no, to write home it's, about. It's insane. Like, it's got some twists and turns that I did not see coming. And movie-wise, I felt like we watched something good recently. Lee. Oh, it <laughs> wasn't that recent. We watched uh, the Birds of Prey movie, which I quite enjoyed. Me too. I am yeah. so annoyed that it's so like undervalued. Like people just didn't see it, and it's really good. Yeah, I, mean, I thought for it was really a fun. superhero move. Yeah, yeah, very liked uh, it. We I actually one of the worthy films we watched was Kathy Yang's first film, which was uh, a Chinese English film called dead pigs and it's dead very like pigs. yeah dead pigs it's about um a pig farmer in a pig farmer like outside of the city and it's um sort of talking oh, shanghai. about like shanghai sorry yes shanghai I had, uh, I had but you, it, so. <laughs> thank you but yeah it is it, it's in english and uh chinese so and yeah it's really good That's i mean these really are worthy worthy movies you're watching <laughs> yeah uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's because otherwise I'm just watching crap. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's, and it's also like, I think we're all at the point where like, it's not like there's no content out there, but it's just, what do we watch? Because we've been watching so much. Our brain is mush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I need to do something that isn't just a reality TV show about tattoo artists or drag race. So. <laughs> Did you guys watch Drag Race UK? Uh, yep. Up to date, of well, obviously, Drag Race UK is finished, but we've seen all that, and we're up to date with US Drag Race as well. What did you think of the finale? I was heartbroken that Bimini Bomboulash did not win. Me too! I was so actually robbed. <laughs> yeah, she was absolutely robbed. I I really liked her from the start. Um, just, just, yeah, really... And, and I like I quite liked Lawrence Cheney at the start, but I really went off her as the series went off. So I was a bit bummed out. I I um, was informed by someone who apparently the reason, and this probably I think it kind of explains Lawrence winning because I think RuPaul was in love with Lawrence. I mean Lawrence Cheney uh, from the <laughs> beginning. Uh, that apparently the reason the BBC can't do a cash prize 
is because it's not an actual judging panel. It's only down to one person's opinion oh. of who's chosen to win. But, but if it was like some point scoring system and you had like several people deciding, they would have been able to do a cash prize. But because it's down to only RuPaul's decision that they can't do it. And, and, to, and then that's to, oh, because it's on the BBC. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm going to tell Ellie that. Oh, Jones. <laughs> oh, um, Nora was just telling me that she's got some insider gossip, which won't tell me who. Apparently, the reason that RuPaul's Drag Race UK doesn't have a cash prize um, is because it's on the BBC and they won't allow it to be a cash prize um, if the contest is just some one person picking. Because it's just RuPaul deciding biased. it's biased. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thought that was interesting. Shit for the Yeah, shit for the Queens. But they get root, repeater badges. No, it's just it's a calm in Hollywood. <laughs> California. <laughs> well, not right now. <laughs> okay, you may go back to your productions. But yes, we, we did a we had a watch party. There was like maybe half a dozen of us and we all dressed up and dragged to watch it on Saturday. Nice. <laughs> we, were all, we were all we were shocked. We were legitimately shocked. Yeah, I. There was no way it was going to happen, but my, I would have, I would have rather tasted one than yeah. Lawrence Me, Chaney. I taste is so beautiful. I cannot deal with it. And he's so <laughs> yeah. his his personality just really won me over because he has such a great sense of humor. And yeah, he, like effortless, effortlessly funny. Just like all mm-hmm. of his like talking head bits, he was just like super charming. Yeah, and just so, like, easy. Like, he just, like, you know, he's, like, whatever to, you know, whatever drama is going on in the room. Yeah. Care less. That's what I liked um, about Tace and Bimini. They're both a bit like that. Like, could just kind of brush the drama stuff away. Yeah. The one thing that I will, I didn't think she was going to win, but the one thing that I do really admire her for, and I feel like she needs to realize that this is a commodity, that Ellie, essentially, you know, all her makeup was unbelievable. And also mm-hmm. that she sewed all those outfits is just insane because yeah. most of the a lot of the queens will get the outfits sewn by like designers and other people they're not making yeah, it yeah, themselves yeah. whereas she who is you know we watched the episode of the queens in lockdown hmm. and she had she had to declare homelessness to get money from the government to get a place because her family got kicked out of their uh, where they were living oh wow so, and, and you know she works at like a fast food place and like yeah, a yeah, truck yeah. trucks station or whatever and it just she has nothing and she's making these unbelievable costumes it's like that's money right there yeah i don't i she's so young but like in a few years she could be like a really really big deal i I mean i want to see all of them live i think this group of queens was unbelievable yeah i thought it was a good a good lineup actually much better than the u.s oh i don't mind the u.s one it feels it feels more like a contest like, it feels like they've all been, like, rehearsing and doing stuff before the show started, like, whereas the UK one feels a little bit kind of wilder. But I feel like their their looks aren't as good. Like, they're not as polished as the UK was. Oh, really? I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot of those queens who put out good looks every week. That paper bag dress should never have been on the runway. Uh, was that Candy Muse's one? Where no, she, no, like, no, 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 no. Um, who was it who had she glued on the little paper gift bags and they were falling off at, oh, during the yeah. like the craft challenge 
Oh, I can't remember, but no, you're right. But that, but plus, the, what, like you were saying, that some of them just don't have the sewing skills. So they've got beautiful outfits that they've paid to have made, but when it comes to yeah. making their own thing. But there's been how many seasons and you don't realise you're going to have to sew at least yeah. one episode? <laughs> uh, no I say every season, just learn to sew, <laughs> take a lesson or two. <laughs> you don't need to be a professional seamstress. but <laughs> Yeah, you need to know how to bloody turn the machine on at least. I think the only, my top three in the US are, I think it's Simone, Utica, and Gottmik. I like all of them. Yeah, I like, I like Rosé a lot. Interesting, okay. Yeah, don't mind Rosé at all. Are you up to date with the US? I didn't watch the last one, but someone spoiled it for me. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to say anything, but um, I think they're, I think they're good. I think they're good. I, um, I'm glad that the UK one's over now. I found it quite hard to keep track of what the challenges were and who was where when there was like 25 queens I was trying to remember but um yeah more manageable now I really want to watch they're going to do a drag race down under and I feel like yeah I saw this yeah no I definitely have been enjoying drag but there's a balance like I can't just watch that type of stuff otherwise I just I mean I'm losing the plot as is so that it doesn't (laughs) help to just watch reality (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I feel you. I feel you. So, so, you know, speaking of in theory worthy things like reading literature and watching worthy esque films, <laughs> welcome to Book Club, where we answer the question is the book better than the movie? than the movie? Or is it the rare chance of the film being better than the book? So, here we are at Book to Screen Club with Nora and one of my favorite guests, Sean. That is very kind of you. I did want to start off with an article that I just came across and I was doing, I was just browsing the internet. And so we recently had the Oscar announcement and a lot of the worthy-esque films that have come out this year have been based off of books, as we usually know they are. And there has been 11 adaptations nominated for Oscars, which I thought was quite cool, which has also gives us some potential material to cover. But some of them we've done already. So Nomadland, The News of the World, which we're Mm -hmm. going to be talking about today. Hillbilly LG, Emma, (laughs) The United States First Billy Holiday, The White Tiger, uh, which we predicted this one, got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which I really hope it wins. Yeah, I think I think it, I mean, I don't know what it was against. I thought it was a very good adapted screenplay the life ahead uh the midnight sky with one and only ivan and greyhound quite a good selection of things were nominated i don't necessarily agree with all of them but obviously it's a little bit of a mess what was able to come out this year in i say in air quotes cinema but none of them actually i think like none of these actually came out. i think maybe emma was the only one that came out in yeah cinema. it's it's been very tricky i found like i used to know about movies from going to cinema and seeing trailers for stuff all the time but now stuff comes on streaming and i've got like absolutely zero context for stuff anymore like i don't know if something's meant to be good or not i have to do like loads of actual research before i decide to watch something now because i've got no preconceived notion which i guess is kind of a good thing but god i miss the cinema well also i feel like because there's so much of a backlog of stuff that needs to come out such wants to come out that i'm finding with some of the streaming services they're burying titles and not necessarily on purpose but they just have so much stuff to promote at the same time so i'm really having to search for things and they're not popping up as like new stuff 
So I don't yeah. know that something's out or when it's coming out. I mean, the constant readjusting I'm having to do on my spreadsheet, trying to keep track of what's coming out slash what came out. I was like, oh, this came out already. Or, oh, like, for example, we were supposed to be covering French Exit this month, which <laughs> the two weeks before the film was come out, they pulled it, they changed the date, and now they've completely pulled the release date. So there is no really date for it anymore. Very frustrating. Pretty much everything. I completely, I went through every film I have that's meant to be coming out soon. And I checked all the release dates again, and they've all changed. Everything is April and May now coming out. And some stuff they're just dropping into random, random streaming services that because I feel like they have no hope of making any money with them. So they're just kind of just putting them out there, I guess. Yeah. But yes. So originally this month, we would have been talking about French Exit, which is, you know, a very interesting read and would have probably been an interesting film to be watching. And in theory, it will be coming out at some point, but I can't find any information about that, sadly. I have now read this book twice, so I'd very much like to... You do? No! <laughs> I would very much like to. I've, I, I, mean, read it init- I read it initially when we did uh, The Sisters Brothers, because I read mm-hmm. all of Patrick DeWitt's novels that month. Mm. And then we were doing French Exit again, so I reread it. And then they scuppered our plans by yes. not releasing the movie. Um, yeah. But the movie looks great as well. I've, I mean, I've only seen the trailer, but I think it looks yeah. like it could be a really great adaptation. So I'd be, I'd be excited to still do it. Yeah, and it's Michelle Pfeiffer as well. Doesn't mm. love her on their screen. Re- really I great mean, cast. That is unfortunately also the second uh, episode that's been scuttered because of that. I was supposed to do another one called the the book's not you know anything amazing, but the last letter from your lover which was another film that was supposed to come out this month and they just, just pulled it. Yeah. <laughs> very last <laughs> very last minute. People have plans, you know. <laughs> you can't do this to us. <laughs> we need some stability. So this month we are talking about News of the World, which originally I don't think we we had talked about it when it was coming out, but it wasn't necessarily what we were gonna we were gonna cover it. But it came out in February, February 10th on Net. Sean, you're going to start us off talking about the book and obviously, yeah, get into as much detail and what questions you have and what you want to discuss about it. Yes. Uh, obviously, as always, feel free to jump in or interject or ask questions as we go. So News of the World uh, by Paulette Giles uh, came out in 2016 by William Morrow. Um, I didn't realise it was such a recent release, actually, in terms of the book until... Um, I saw your kind of notes yeah. that feel I mean, normally I think the aesthetic and the vibe of the book feels older mm, not in a bad way but no it really does so the blurb reads as in the aftermath of the civil war an aging newsreader agrees to transport a young captive the Kiowa back to her people in this exquisitely rendered morally complex multi-layered novel of historical fiction from the author of Enemy Woman that explores the boundaries of family, responsibility, honour and trust. I think that's a fair summation. I did have to double check this because I didn't actually know how to pronounce it, but it's Kiowa is how they say it. Kiowa, yeah. I, I yeah. listen to like a pronunciation a bunch of times today, but <laughs> it immediately goes out of my head every time. That's a, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, Paulette Giles, an American poet and novelist, born in Salem, Missouri. She was educated at the University of uh, Missouri uh, with a degree in Romance Languages. 
Uh, Giles lives in Texas Hill Country on a small ranch. She's written 17 books again, which is very impressive. Not a a bad bibliography. Yeah. I didn't, Um, yeah, I haven't heard of her before this. No, no, I was I was not familiar either. Obviously, she is successful in a certain area, but I think I Mm -hmm. just don't really read westerns. It's not something I gravitate towards. I never think of myself as like being a Western fan, but like anytime I read one or watch a Western movie, I always like really thoroughly enjoy it. So uh, clearly it's like does something for me. I mean, I'm into it on some level. I, it's um, just the British British fascination with the Wild West. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> please, please, please do step in if I start wearing a Stetson or a cowboy hat. Around the place, no? <laughs> I do own two pair of cowboy boots. So <laughs> you're, 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 you're American. I think you're allowed. You're allowed. <laughs> um, this is interesting as well. So um, Captain Kidd, his first appearance in Giles' uh, 2010 novel, The Colour of Lightning. Giles has spun off one of the characters from News of the World in her forthcoming novel, Simon the Fiddler, who I assume is the character we meet Fine. fairly early on. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. She's clearly like, creating this universe because from what I've read about her books they are all in a similar historical period slash she writes a lot about Texas Mm. and I I like that world building in a sense of you don't really have to have read any of the books in a certain order or you can skip one but they do kind of exist in this (laughs) weirdly reminds me of um the Terry Pratchett novels yes where like each one is <laughs> technically kind of standalone but they all intermix with characters and places mm-hmm. and stuff which is like an interesting way of doing things obviously oh, her... it's like a I was just, it's like a choose your own adventure <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of yeah <laughs> and how you read it okay so uh we'll kind of cut into the nitty-gritty of the of the novel uh the novel opens on Captain Kidd, who, since the end of the Civil War, has been wandering from city to city in North Texas and giving professional readings of news stories that he collects from newspapers. In the town of Wichita Falls, Texas, during the winter of 1870, Captain Kidd agrees to transport Johanna Leonberger back to her family in South Texas, outside of Castroville. Four years earlier, a tribe of native Indians called the... How are we pronouncing this? Kiowa. Kiowa, Kiowa, um, kidnapped Johanna and raised her. She doesn't speak English and believes she is a Kiowa. Uh, Captain Kidd uses the $50 Spanish coin the Ledenberg Leonbergers have paid him to buy a wagon. As they leave, a pale-haired man and two of his henchmen watch them. Captain Kidd and Johanna arrive in Spanish Fort. The town overwhelms Johanna, who the captain leaves with two friends while he gives a reading. After discovering that Johanna has run off, run away, Captain Kidd and his friend Simon um, Bordlin, is that how we're pronouncing Simon's surname? I guess Bordlin, Bordlin. I don't know if they, he must says it. Oh yeah, they say Mrs. Bordlin when he's talking to the wife. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Um, they track her to the Red River where Johanna is sobbing and watching a group of uh, Indians cross the river. Captain Kidd drags her away and they continue on to Dallas. In Dallas, Captain Kidd and Joanna stay with Mrs. Uh, Gannett, who runs a livery stable. Captain Kidd leaves Johanna in, in the care of Mrs. Gannett while he goes into town to arrange a reading. During dinner, he tries to teach Johanna how to use a fork. After his reading, the pale-haired man from Wichita Falls appears again. 
His name is Ulme, and he offers to buy Johanna from Captain Kidd in the hopes of selling her into child prostitution. Kidd feigns interest to throw the man off his scent. Captain Kidd and Johanna leave early that morning, but Almy and his henchmen catch up to them and start a gunfight. Outnumbered and running out of ammunition, Johanna loads their guns with 10 cent coins and they kill uh, Almay and his companions. They start towards Durand, uh, but they are intercepted by a man who demands a half silver from them. They pay him and the man warns him about the town. While there, a young woman yells at Johanna for bathing naked in the river. And while an argument over Texan politics erupts and shuts down Captain Kidd's reading. Uh, this time, the black bearded man from uh, before introduced himself to Captain Kidd as John Kelly and apologised for taking the captain's money. When Captain Kidd and Johanna enter uh, Lampasas, is that how we're saying that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, army officials warn there about possible trouble uh, with the Harold brothers who want to be reported in newspapers. <laughs> they hurry through and onwards towards Castroville. In Castroville, Captain Kidd and Johanna meet her uncle and aunt and uncle, Anna and Wilhelm. They agree to take her in if she works for them. Reluctantly, the captain leaves Johanna with them. The next night, however, Captain Kidd rides back to, from San Antonio to Castroville. When he discovers that Johanna's aunt and uncle have whipped her, he takes Johanna with him. For three years, they travel together on the road until the captain's two daughters relocate to San Antonio at their mother's old family home. They join Captain Kidd's daughters there and the captain legally adopts Johanna. Eventually, Johanna, at 16, and Callie marry and move to Missouri, where she helps him on his cattle drives. Uh, the Comanche Indians kill Britt Johnson and his two friends in 1871. Simon and Doris have six children, while the Harolds are eventually killed in the Great Lampapas Square shootout of 1877, for which they, are, they finally get what they wanted, their names in the paper. The captain, too, uh, dies and is buried with his runner catch. A uh, few things I just remembered I wanted to add. Because it's a very fleshy story for, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's not like super long, but it has a lot of meat to it. So mm -hmm. also, you know, giving the backstory to Captain Kidd. So when he was 16, he joined, I don't know which war, but one of the wars and was just quite young and kind of had to deal with these pretty traumatic situations. And then he started his printing press in San Antonio. And it wasn't until he was quite old. I think he was in his 50s when he met his wife. And they had two daughters. And then his, his wife was from a very wealthy Mexican family. And he published a Spanish and English newspaper and was very ingrained in that culture and was quite successful. And then I think it was the, there was another war and they were using his printing press. The soldiers were using it. And then it got bombed. And his wife had died during all of this. And then his daughters eventually because of all what was going on, moved to Georgia and one of them was married and the other one had some mental health problems. And they, in the book, they write a lot of letters back and forth to each other because they're trying to negotiate the ability to take back the land that was from their mother's family, which because of the war, it kind of was in dispute of who owned the land, which is quite interesting because it's sort of the legal issues that were surrounding this developing nation that is the United States. Yeah, the, the book is kind of sprinkled throughout with him um, like kind of corresponding with his daughters and you kind of get these 
it's only kind of snippets of information, but you kind of can piece the entire kind of story of his kind of past together just through those um, interactions. Um, and also, you know, he talks about having known other children who had been, because what the, what he said the Indians would do is they would murder the families and then take the children and raise them as their own. And he, he talks about how they didn't know how it would happen, but like within a year, these kids would completely think that they were Indian, would lose their ability to speak English. And then even when they would try and bring them back to their families, it was quite difficult for them to, you know, they never fully recovered or transitioned back you get this sort of history of that being something that was fairly common to happen. Mm-hmm. And as, as yeah, the guy, he, he knew the guy who was meant to be transporting her and those relationships, there's a lot more to it. Agreed. What, what did you think of the, the kind of book in I, general? As I say, I'm not someone who's drawn to Westerns. It's not actually something I'm very interested in. Not mm-hmm. that it isn't interesting historically, but, and as someone who's, I had to read a lot of Westerns in school because I was living in the West, uh, a lot of Cormac McCarthy, which I do not have fond feelings for. I actually, once I kind of got a little bit into it, I actually really enjoyed the experience of reading it. I wouldn't say it's like one of my favorite books, but I think I enjoyed the, her writing, the characters, sort of the details of it. And the entire journey, I thought, was very well written and engaging. Uh, and, you know, which I think is a compliment to the book. It's a good book. Yeah. What about I, you? I, I, kind of, uh, I kind of agree with everything you said, yeah. Like, it's, it's that interesting of doing the book club again. Like, it's probably not something I would have picked up or, like, kind of been seeking out off my own back. But, like, really happy I read it. I thought her writing was really great. Like, it's not the most... Kind of an exciting book. (laughs) It's not the most complex of stories either. It's quite like a straightforward story about what's actually happening. But she's got like a really wonderful way of layering lots of little kind of personal stories. And these side characters feel like incredibly lived in people. Even if it's just a character you kind of meet and interact with for a couple of pages of a a chapter. Um, and I found that like a really compelling kind of driving force, this kind of weird, slightly suspenseful, like road trip across this kind of frontier America. And each chapter felt like its own little story. Um, yeah, it just really kind of pulled me along. I read it in a couple of sittings. I thought it was like, a lovely little book. Again, the, these little characters you're reading, but you kind of are charmed by in a sense. Mm. Like I, I'm remembering towards the end of the road trip, they were staying in this camp and there was this, the chicken guy this like filthy man who like was obsessed with his chicken and uh, he did and kid didn't really like him very much but then as they're leaving Joanna shows him these chickens she's killed for them to eat and he's like oh shit and <laughs> realizing that she's killed these this man's beloved chickens so when he's he comes across some uh, another person who's going in the opposite direction and gives her some money to give to the man that they killed his chickens and it's just it's these tiny little moments that make again as you say mm. a road it's a road trip story make it a really nice read yeah like this is this is a, a slightly weird tangent and it's kind of the whole point 
But re- reading this made made me realise just how much John Favreau is riffing on westerns when he's making The Mandalorian. Like every episode of The Mandalorian feels like it could have been a chapter from this book. Weirdly, like simple, sim- simple, simple setup. Like a slightly interesting character, oddball characters introduced, and each chapter kind of completes itself and rounds off but there's like an overarching narrative it feels yeah I don't know why that reminded me of it but yeah it does no totally and it's also you know a man of few words there's very little dialogue between these characters yeah yeah and it's that it's that western setup of begrudging kind of protector helping out like a quote-unquote innocent and taking them on some kind of frontier journey. I mean, it's just it's the Mandalorian. That show. is a Western. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and there's never a chatty cowboy, is there? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it defeats the purpose. Yeah, she just has this kind of like hypnotic ability to lull you into the story, I think. Mm. Oh, no, I was just going to say it was, it was for a book where there are only a few moments of real kind of danger or really, really high stakes. She did like a really um, like, like phenomenal job of making, they always feel like you are on in this frontier and things are kind of lawless and dangerous and you need to be cautious. And the fact that everything felt like it was, one wrong word away from exploding, but then not actually exploding, for me was kind of more satisfying and more tense than like they're constantly being like shootouts or horrible things happening. It's just that having to watch these characters you're growing to care about, having to navigate these incredibly dangerous cities and towns and wilderness and succeeding makes the next time they encounter something feel even more tense because you like how their luck's got to run out at some point. And I found that a genuinely compelling, compelling narrative thrust. Because I think there was a point, which I guess is the climax of the story, where it did feel like their luck would uh, run out when you have the shootout between Alme and the mm-hmm. way she writes it, where he's just, I'm going to die but I'm going to die so she can get away. And yeah. you, I, you believe that that's what's going to happen, essentially. She's able to write it in such a... He, he refuses to give up and allow her to be, you know, captured because he's an honorable man and this is what he's, he's made a promise and he's going to keep it and even if he has to die because of it. And that's, I mean... Because it is, you know, it's a little bit of like his salvation slash redemption story because he's, I mean, he's a, a lost man, you know, he lost his wife, his purpose, and he's kind of just meandering till, you know, he, the end of his life. Mm. And he, does, he doesn't have anything, any purpose anymore, really. And she's able to give that to him. And even if that means his death because his purpose was to protect her, then he's accepted that. Yeah. She does a couple of a couple of great things that make that shootout feel like it could go in any direction. She spends the first kind of third of the book subtly uh, but consistently establishing the kind of limitations of 
kid their supplies and what it is they're actually doing like you're fully aware of like the fact that he's got like a very limited number of rounds for his revolver his shotgun is like birdshot and will do like nothing to a person like he's old he's been through wars like he's 70 he's at the kind of end of his days and she's subtly kind of reminding you of this throughout so when you get to this shootout you feel like okay maybe maybe this is it maybe we're going to lose him here and then the rest of the book is going to be her surviving again it really feels like it could go that way um and then beautifully because Joanna helps him out of it and they survive this situation but you know there's still so much of their journey ahead and there's still so much for them to overcome you feel like surely they can't can't make it and both be fine like they've already had this one amazing kind of triumph together and then she does constantly feel like the stakes are raising which makes you feel like everything could go horribly wrong in every chapter which is yeah such a great narrative device yeah because you I suppose it's a type of happy ending but I didn't I don't think I needed a happy ending or didn't expect one really I think it was it was nice, obviously, that you know they come back together. But because it, you know, it's the you know wild west, and and if this was not a time of happiness, it was really hard living. Mm-hmm. And I having the you know him, you know he's in his seventies at this point in the the story in his life. But to have him find another, because he did have his happiness with his first wife, but for him to have another point of happiness later on i do i will question the fact that she's 16 i think when she marries this guy john Kelly, who was probably over his 30s probably at this point i don't know do they think? don't they don't like it's really hard to tell i think in the book and the thing is as well it's like that's kind of just like the norm at the time isn't it because people yeah. are like dying incredibly young <laughs> and like things can just go horribly wrong so like getting married when you're 16 is like you're doing that because you might not live until you're like 30 because it's incredibly dangerous and a hostile environment to kind of live in um they never it feels like he's like definitely older than her but it could be like he's in his like early 20s which feels like slightly better than the movie weirdly makes him feel very young but doesn't do yeah. the same ending yeah because i suppose in the movie he could he could be like 16 17 at that point whereas she's mm-hmm. she meant to, she's meant to be like 10 right yeah i think that's the case yeah like she's six or so when she's first uh when she's kidnapped and she's been gone a few years yeah i suppose that's fine <laughs> i also the way she described her in the book and the way her her outfits of how she's dressed when in sort of her Kiowa garb when he first meets her with sort of her the feathers and beading all in her hair and sort of the ornaments on her as well, just kind of covered in, in filth and her like steely gaze and her ability just to stand motionless for hours on end, like making everyone extremely uncomfortable, this sort of eeriness to her, this wildness that she might at any moment kind of 
unleash herself. Mm. Yeah, I think she really handles the main characters incredibly well in terms of description, how they kind of grow, their kind of arcs throughout feels like natural and earned and like as realistic as I think you can get for something set in the 1800s. Um, I like the fact that she met like she made it feel like people were people were scared of her because they weren't used to seeing like children with this kind of sense of confidence about them like she felt she felt like she could take care of herself and she had this confidence of what she knew what she wanted and wanted to do um I think that terrified people who didn't quite understand like that she why she wasn't like overjoyed to be kind of returned to quote-unquote civilization as well and I think he he mentions it like in his internal monologue when he's talking about his own trauma about being in war so young and what it did to him Mm. in that looking at her at someone her age and she's probably seen as much death and had to deal with killing potentially killing her herself killing people that he has had as a man of 70 Mm. and that you know it's it's sort of like the unlikely couple the two of them you know that they are both able to find themselves with each other but they also have a lot in common in the sense of the trauma that they've both gone through and what they've had to do to survive even though she's this tiny little girl and he's an old guy but I found this because I always like to look in see what how the author describes the process of the book but a little fact that the characters actually kid is based off of her ex-husband's great-great-grandfather who was a newspaper reader like he would go around town to town reading oh that's fascinating she didn't really know like there's nothing really on him besides her knowing his profession but she loved the idea of that and so that's kind of Mm. influenced her basing that story and she made up everything else you know besides the actual historical facts but I I loved when she talked about and I think this is what really made the book for me was that someone is asking her about you know the historical accuracy accuracy and the research into all the newspaper articles that he's reading which are actual newspaper articles from the time and she was saying that I don't like anything to get past me that somebody might catch me out on which they're going to do in a book believe me researching would have been news at the time researching what would have been news at the time was very fun and that took a lot of work on the internet and I, I think her skill in adding the real life details to a fictional story is what really helps pull you in. Mm. Not that yeah. I'm super knowledgeable about 1870, but, you know, it no, feels real. I think, I think you're right. Yeah, just the fact that you do have, like, I didn't have any context for whether they were real news stories or not. But I think it would have been, I like to think it would have been obvious if they were bullshit (laughs) you know the fact that they feel so honest and real makes you buy into it so much more yeah no I hadn't even considered that as a point but no yeah yeah you're definitely right and yeah and I think as you're reading it you're not you don't question it because it's a little bit of truth sprinkled into a lie that Mm. helps you believe the lie because it sounds real and it is real 
So yeah. that helps, the, yeah, the story. <laughs> and just, you know, her talking about, or him talking about, you know, the, the far off, you know, in London and Iceland and all these exotic places, what's yeah. happening there and the various newspapers and how very specifically what you're talking about with the film, like he doesn't read local news because he wants to, you know, he's he's traveling through a very desperate situation for a lot of people. And by getting them out of that desperate world and kind of stimulating their imagination of these far off places beyond the grit of what's happening is kind of, him giving you know food for the soul of mm. trying to help alleviate how hard it is like which i thought i think is a very beautiful thing to do <laughs> and just yeah. how is what he, he he's trying it's a little thing that he's giving them but it makes you know all the difference obviously did you have any um, questions or things about the book no nothing in particular yeah it was just i think really really nice read and I enjoyed their relationship and it, it is like what is it how many pages I mean my book book is yeah so it's just it's just 200 pages and but it it has a lot to it and you get a lot out of it and again all those little characters that he's meeting along the way they're all a little bit quirky you know they're desperate, but underneath the desperation are good people that are willing to help each other. Sometimes they need to be reminded, but... <laughs> yeah, it feels like a much... It feels like a much meatier story than that page count would have you think. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, the, it's, and just the, the politics, when they were talking about, like, Ulysses uh, as Grant and yeah. who the other guy he was up against... And, uh, um, Davis and Hamilton are the two yes, other yeah, politicians yeah, I love it that they were mentioning Hamilton uh, <laughs> unrelated to the musical <laughs> but <laughs> uh, talking about the north and you know Texas you know as a part of the union and things like that yeah. <laughs> I thought it was quite great I mean that was a part of the story but that wasn't the actual story though uh, I think what we were saying, just you were just saying just then, is, is really what's great about it is it is that texture of stuff. Even though it is only 200 pages and the main thrust of the narrative is fairly straightforward, there's so much texture from like real-world events and things that ground you in that world. Um, and even though you're only getting these passing snippets of the politics and the feelings of the time and what's happening in the wider world, um, it's just enough to make you believe all of these slightly unusual characters and really buy into everything that's happening. Um, yeah, really, really brilliant little book. So, talking about the film. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, released in February, definitely was meant to come out in cinemas. <laughs> I was sort of reading some reviews about it, and I think someone said you can uh, time your clock to Oscar season based off of a Tom's tom hanks film coming out <laughs> <laughs> he liked his oscar bait and it was directed by paul greengrass who is the uh, the man behind the the born films <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> he's directed jason born born ultimatum born supremacy and captain phillips which is uh, the film that he had done with tom hanks before this and i think won a lot of awards if i remember correctly yeah, I, I remember, like, 
I mean, enjoying is not the right word. I remember thinking <laughs> Captain Phillips was a was a was a good and interesting movie. I didn't see it, so but I take your word for it. So it was adapted by him and Luke Davies, who has done Catch Twenty Two, Beautiful Boy. Catch Twenty Two was such a boring show, based off of such a boring slash worthy book. I don't know if you know anything about it, but I'm also, aware of the book, but never read anything or seen anything. So he also did Lion and like, you know, all worthy sounding films. I mean, mm-hmm. slightly gun for hire, mere, mediocre, white dude, you know. <laughs> well, I can't tell if that was a compliment or a scathing <laughs> review. Jesus. I mean, it's just they do what they're hired to do, but I don't it's know like t- anything. It's not very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it's very workmanlike. Yes. It's like par for the course, worth, not worthy, but Hollywood A-level of those projects. Yeah. It stars Tom Hanks, plays Captain Kidd. Helena Zengel plays Joanna, who, she's sort of a, this is her first English language film. She's a German actress. And then, they're the two leads. The other side characters really get very little screen time. But to mention, there's Elizabeth Marvel, plays Mrs. Gannett. Winsome Brown plays Anna Leonberger. Neil Sandyland's Wilhelm Wienberger. Michael Covina plays Alme. Ray McKinnon plays Simon Budlin. Mary Winningham plays Doris Budlin. And Fred Henschinger plays John Kelly. It was produced by Perfect World Pictures, Playtone, Pretty Pictures, and Universal Pictures. So, taking a relatively simple book and making it even simpler. <laughs> we open with Tom Hanks. It's 1870 in Wichita Falls, North Texas again, and he's He's there to do one of his readings. And then when he's leaving that town, he finds a wrecked wagon and a hung black man. There goes that character. And meant to apply the racism in America because we didn't know about that. And he sees a child running off into the woods and he manages to stop her and she's speaking to him in Kiowa. But he finds her papers in the wagon that figures out that she's had been kidnapped by the Indians some soldiers rock up they question him and tell him they need he needs to take the girl up to the Red River immediately getting rid of the original introduction to the fact that um and I think quite importantly in talking about the racial politics of, of the time because it's an actual conversation instead of a dead person you had a black man who his profession was actually helping finding these kidnap victims but he didn't want to take this young white girl that far out because it knew he knew it would be dangerous for him so that's why he had hired or he had asked captain kid to do so and i i do want to i realize you never noticed this but there's not a lot of southern accents going on <laughs> and uh, and then so we have them that night he's sort of reading her backstory and he's finding out about her family and he arrives at the Red River and he finds the army command who say they can't help him. And then he goes to his fr- friend Simon Boodlin at his shop and he asks him to take the girl and he says, fine. But then when he's gone to do a reading, the local news, uh, Joanna runs away and he finds her chanting over at the river for the other Kiowa to come rescue her. Simon says he can't really keep her, so he agrees he's going to take her back to her family. She, at one point, she runs out screaming because they're trying to put her in Western uh, dress. And 
he manages to take her away and he tries to teach her to read and they sort of try to translate words to each other so they can understand each other. They eventually get to Dallas where we meet Mrs. Gannett at her inn and they take two rooms and he's trying to teach her how to eat. Mrs. Gannett happens to speak Kiowa. How handy. (laughs) And manages to tell her that he's her friend and is going to help um, her get to her family, (laughs) which is, you know, he didn't really have that aid in the book, but it seems like it's, you know, pretty handy in the film. So we find out that her Indian name is Cicada. He sleeps with Mrs. Gannett. Scandalous. (laughs) (laughs) They clearly have some sort of arrangement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then... The man, Mr. Almay, comes to him after reading and he wants to buy the girl. But instead of, uh, you know, sneaking away, he immediately attacks him and they get into a fight. And then they have to, you know, Almay says, I'm going to get you and find you. So they <laughs> they race off. But because they have a dodgy wagon, the baddies manage to catch up with him. And we have our shootout. He... Kill, she brings over the coins to load the bullets and they manage to kill three of them and then they're back on the road and they're he's teaching her English and they run into these men with guns at Erith County I think it is and yep. this is the same thing about the guys who are mad that they aren't in the newspapers but they should be and he they want him to do a reading of their own self-published newspaper, but he doesn't want to. He, so he starts reading news from other places and the guys beat him and get him to kick him out. And then in the evening, the, the guy, the baddie in charge there tries to kill him, but the little girl kills him first. And then one of the men that they had met earlier shoots him. This is John Kelly. We don't know his name yet. And he says, I like your stories. (laughs) So he helped him. So the three of them go off together. And then we get like a tiny bit of backstory about Captain Kidd, about how he had this print works in San Antonio, but he lost everything in the war. And then he says he left his wife there, whatever that means. They (laughs) drop John Kelly off and they're going into Kiowa territory. And they find an abandoned wagon where a family had been murdered. I don't know if they're meant to be alluding to this is where her family was living. Is this the house that Johanna goes back to? This is not the Leonberger. This is the abandoned house before they meet the Indians. Yeah, I, I, I read this as that's meant to be meant to be where Johanna lived and okay. where she got taken from is how I read it because she points the way there she like feels like she's got her bearings she comes out holding like a doll that she's found yeah. it all feels very and he's like you don't have to do this sort of mm-hmm. thing you don't have to face your past yeah that was my reading of it yes okay thank you for me that so their dodgy wagon breaks down and they crash and their horses sort of fall over broken their legs I guess and so he has to kill them they're camping out and they hear some wild horses in the distance and then then this huge dust storm comes up that he walks straight into 
while leaving Joanna behind. Hmm. I, <laughs> I thought that he, I thought he heard horses. Yeah. So he was running to see if it was to flag down the horses and mm-hmm. then ran into the storm. But it was too late to turn back before he got engulfed. All right. I just thought there could have been some smarter decision-making happening at this point. <laughs> so they eventually find each other again, and she sees this group of Indians, and she goes over to them and says something to them, and they give her a horse to take. They get to Castroville. She's really upset about going to this house, and for me, it kind of felt like, like she had been at that house before and didn't want to go back, and that's why one of the reasons she was quite upset about seeing it again, like she recognized it. Yeah. Yeah, because she's and, she's freaking out quite soon. Like as soon as they're approaching Castroville, she's like, "No, no, no, let's let's go, let's go, let's not be here." So we meet her aunt, aunt and uncle, and he leaves her with them. They he goes to San Antonio, where he arrives at an abandoned house, which we assume was the house he and his wife lived in, and then he goes to see a friend of his, and which who is, is from the Queen's Gambit. Is he? Wait, what's he's, he's the janitor from Queen's Gambit, his pal who he oh goes to see. My God. Thank you for pointing it that out. That is great. <laughs> I see it now. Wow. Oh. Yeah. I mean he's great in the Queen's Gambit. He is, he's good so, at this, I thought. Yeah. I mean, for like the two lines he has. I mean, yeah, he, totally. he's, just, he's essentially just used as a device to be able to give Tom Hanks' character a little more back. Yeah, he's he's a slight he's a he's a very good emotive exposition character. Yeah. (laughs) So he talks about how his wife had died during the four years that he was away in whatever war it was, so that he never was able to start a family. So we're getting rid of the storyline about the daughters and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. and obviously. Tom Hanks is probably in his 60s, so I, they're playing the character to be much younger than the one in the book. Yeah, yeah, because Tom Hanks doesn't even look like he's in his 60s. No. Like, he, in, in, in 1870, he could be a slightly haggard 30-year-old. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he goes to visit her grave for the first time, and I think so... When he had been talking to Mrs. Gannett, he had said it was been four years since her death. So whatever time frame that's meant to be. Yeah. So, and then he decides, he goes back to Leon, Leonberger's and he sees her tied up, her leg tied up to a pole like a dog and is essentially unties her and he's like, I'm taking her. And they don't even do anything really. <laughs> but then, And then he says to her, uh, you belong to me. And I'm sort of like, she doesn't belong to anyone, but okay. I think oh, no, the point... no. He says, with me. Oh, does he? I thought it said, you belong to me. No, no, I, I had the subtitles on for the whole thing. Okay. And he says, you belong with me. I'm like 99% okay. confident, which is, which is much nicer, I think. Yes, like... I, yes, that's much better. They go back and then they... The last scene is them telling, uh, reading newspapers together, and that's the end. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought it was really boring. <laughs> okay, interesting. Okay. I mean, 
mean, it just, it lacked depth on the background of their stories. Like, there was no flesh to it. Barely, like, you at the end, they just rushed to kind of, like, give you a little bit of context to him. That it's impossible to care for kid or this, like, redemption slash salvation story. Because I feel like it's not clear what he's being redeemed for. What is this journey for? he doesn't really seem bothered by his life when you're meeting him because in the book i feel like i really understand why he's doing this and why he's a pain mm-hmm. and that he what he's searching for and i feel the director was so focused on tom hanks like his that the tom hanks factor whatever that is the charisma that he holds to fill the role rather than the actual content of the film to fill the story <laughs> Makes sense. It does make sense to you, yeah. I I hope you get feel? what you're saying. I mean, the Tom Hanks factor works on me pretty much every time. Like that's I like Tom Hanks enough that it draws me along. Like I thought the I think the book is much better. Like probably infinitely better in terms of the story, the characters, what they actually do with with that narrative. I thought the movie was like I could a, 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 a totally pleasant enjoyable afternoons viewing like it's not terrible it's not like a dreadful movie it just it just left me a little bit cold and I, again I think it's I think there's a lot of times with, with the book like, I think if I hadn't read the book I think I would have probably enjoyed this more than I did having read the book but it felt like a less I was less emotionally invested and less kind of tense and engaged with the characters despite them ramping things up to 11 across the board like the book has like one shootout and like a couple of scenes where it feels like something could go horribly wrong the movie has like two massive shootouts like a fist fight a like sandstorm a scene where their like wagon goes off the rails and flips it feels like they had a bunch of action stuff that did zero for me. Like, yeah, it's interesting that there was more action, but I felt gave me less <laughs> than yeah. the book one scene did. And yeah, agreed. Which is what the question I I had you know put out to the universe, but specifically asked you how the idea that you know you understood in the book his journey, mm-hmm. but what what is his journey meant to be in the film? You think? Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if the movie does enough for me to say or if the reading I have of it is influenced by having read the book first. Like, I don't know if I'm inferring stuff onto the characters just because I've got context for them already. Like, based on what the movie does... All you really, Otherwise... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, so all I can say is all you really get... All the movie does in terms of justifying it is the fact that Tom Hanks's version of Captain Kidd is like an honourable man who feels like he can't let this girl be abandoned for like the third time. So it feels like it's his duty to kind of see her home. Um, and I think the movie at the end wants you to feel like the whole point of it is how they're both these kind of lost souls and they kind of find something in each other that they were kind of missing which I think you kind of can read from it I think that's me giving it maybe too much credit because I've read the book and have the context for the characters otherwise it just like you're saying like he's just an honorable man who's doing the right thing 
and it just feels like it's more of a savior complex rather than mm-hmm. he actually needs her in the book she he needs her because yeah. he the book does a nice job of um making them feel more like partners whereas yeah. the movie very much until until the scene where she gets the horse for them which feels like it mm-hmm. saves them both to get to Castroville um in in the book she she decides to go and how to make the shotgun shells work which she does also do in the movie that's good but also in the book she's the one who realizes she can push the boulder down to take out one of Alame's companions in the movie it's Captain Kidd's idea um he gets like quite badly dinged up in the book like he gets shot across the eye and he's bleeding everywhere and like she takes care of him and like patches him up and like prepares breakfast for them it does constantly feel like they're this kind of partnership whereas the movie doesn't quite do do that justice well I, I think it it has it has elements of it and I feel like their chemistry Tom Hanks and Helena isn't it the yeah the young actress. The actress, I think they yeah. have got a good chemistry and they work well on screen together there's a lot there I think if I think you lose me just by having the plot be here's two characters and we're just going to keep putting obstacles in their way mm-hmm. um, and like, all the obstacles they put in their way are just these like incredibly like dramatic action movie <laughs> obstacles to overcome where the, the book presents them with like oh she doesn't understand like our society and like she's bathing naked and this woman's furious at her and that's like one of the obstacles a book puts in their way or like she's stolen these chickens because she doesn't understand that like they belong to this man she just thinks they're chickens that are food and mm. it doesn't matter and that's like another obstacle of Captain Kidd trying to like teach her these things and her not realising whereas the movie is just like here's a shootout here's a shootout here's like a sandstorm like they're all on the same level whereas the book has these kind of peaks and troughs which and it's build their relationship yeah and it also helps build her as a character because obviously she can't communicate so it's through her actions that we learn who she is so by because you've just described like very different things about her the fact that she doesn't understand private property by the fact of taking the chickens the fact what was the other thing you said sorry Um, and when she's bathing naked sorry oh the bathing she doesn't understand like the western idea of modesty so that's another thing about her so the fact that the only defining points are these acts of violence that he's sort of defending them against means we're losing learning anything about her as a person I mean we don't I mean in the film there's nothing that gives her a persona really Mm. Yeah, I mean, what do the, we what do we know about her? I mean, all we know about her is what Tom Hanks tells us, well, and he doesn't know anything about her. Yeah, besides that one little piece of paper. Um, on on that point, did you, did you watch it with subtitles? Sorry, on Netflix. Not the. I mean, there's the when she's speaking in Kiowa subtitles. Oh, okay, but... cool. Yeah, sorry. I so I had subtitles on the whole time. So obviously no. they were just part of it, and the whole time I was thinking. Fuck! If you have the subtitles off, do you not understand what she's what she's saying? No, no, no so I'm they, glad they, they are. Do. Yeah, the, yeah. I'm glad they are there because I'm like I'm getting a, I'm getting a lot of context from these subtitles <laughs> if they're not there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what what's, what really sums up the kind of the difference between how they handle their relationship is 
at the end when he comes back to get her in the movie it's she's tied up like a dog everyone else is there they have this slightly there's a slightly awkward conversation between them where he's saying sorry and then he says the thing about how we belong together which is quite nice um but there's something really visceral about the book where he's writing like he's writing back to get her because he realizes he shouldn't have left her it's like the middle of the night he gets there and like he sees her alone like doing all of this work out in the fields in the dark there's no one else around and like he calls to her and she calls back to him and she runs to him and that kind of really shows this connection they've got yeah um and it's like a really beautiful scene and ah oh, the movie just loses it a little bit i think it would have been i would have loved it if it had just been he turned up at night and she was tied up outside and it's yeah. just the two of them i think that's much more powerful than like him almost I mean, getting the- him getting almost permission from like this awful aunt and uncle to take her away like fuck them man don't matter yeah. like shoot him Cause, I don't cause that, yeah that was his behavior in the book it's like fuck them I'm gonna just take her like there's no question about him he would not leave her no matter what in the book yeah, whereas yeah. the fact that he has to he kind of looks to them to make sure it's okay <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know if that's like um, a thing that they want like are they are they worried audiences are gonna think he's like bad if he just turns up and like takes her away to like do you know I mean like it's almost like the they want the aunt and uncle to give him permission so the audience feels like he's got permission in like a weird way or maybe I'm just like really reading into it well no I, I do understand that but if they had done it the way the book had done it where you saw that clearly she was in an abusive situation and then he mm. was like well I'm not gonna leave her to this and I feel like as an audience you know some watching it'd be like yeah get her out of there yeah and yeah then- yeah the book with this that weird thing as well where the book's got much fewer moments of like actual violence like in terms of deaths and shootouts and stuff but which which makes the end bit where she's been visibly whipped and has like these marks on her like much more impactful whereas the movie spent so long having people get blown away that when she turned up to get her the fact that she's just tied up almost feels like weirdly underwhelming like obviously mm-hmm. it's fucking awful but it feels like so small in context yeah, and the other thing I wanted to talk about, and I briefly mentioned before, that obviously one of the points that they touch upon in the film, but are more so, I mean, I, they do a much better job, and more matter-of-factly they do it in the book, is talking about race relations at the time, so with Black and Indians and not good, but also how they coexisted, but well slash not well depending on where you are and with the example of the fact that he's he's hired by a black man in the beginning of and talking about sort of showing what the different roles were in society at that time or slash, slash limitations and also talking about there's so much back you know there's a lot more backstory into indians well, the specific tribes as well, talking about the Kiowa and what the relationships at the time were pleasant slash unpleasant because you had, I think, Alme, the the guy who's trying to buy her, both his henchmen were Indians. I forget what tribe they were from. 
Mm. And seeing the actual interactions, giving you context to what's happening. Whereas I, in the film, it's such a cursory glance at just America has raised its foundations. Well, we know that, but actually show how these people live together to understand the racism versus yeah. kind of just very superficially telling us that this is what it is because there's yeah. no ability to have an actual conversation about it in the film. Yeah, I agree. Does that, does that make if, sense? Totally, yeah. Your own thing, right? It feels like the the movie wants to have the wants to essentially use like racism and these kind of tensions as a shorthand to show you who the bad guys are, mm-hmm. rather than having like an actual like contextual kind of narrative purpose for it. Like it doesn't. Now I feel like it gives you enough kind of context of the time to really way into it and the book the book only gives you like a smattering of this but it gives you enough kind of context to kind of understand the inter kind of relationships of these different kind of peoples um where it feels almost like the movie wants its cake and to eat it as well by have, using it as a shorthand but not actually wanting to really say anything with it other than racism bad but also and then the other thing the other storyline we, we i didn't mention was so captain kin his his wife, who passed away, she was Mexican from a sort of Mexican royal family. And kind of that history is fascinating as well. And I would love to know more about that. And the Betancourt family is her name. And so he was very ingrained in that culture and really respects that culture as well. But obviously the politics around Mexico was quite difficult in certain parts of Texas. And when he had gone to that one town where it was the Horrell brothers who were saying that they kill blacks, Indians and Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And sort of, he has like an internal monologue about like the fact that Mexican culture is very important to him. His, his daughters are half Mexican and connect with that and grew up, you know, they're all speak Spanish. So that I think is another important story that the author is able to, you know, give you a glimpse into, but there isn't any, credit to you know that and that was very important to what was happening at the time mm. yeah, and you, you don't you, see anyone you don't see anyone of these very ethnic backgrounds really appearing as character roles which is very bizarre yeah it is it is very bizarre <laughs> they even the book even does a thing where it has um has a, an inner monologue with Johanna where she's uh witnessing Mexican women who have more of the freedoms that she's used to from how she was raised in the Indian tribe. Um, So you see more more context for kind of what their culture's like at the time as well. But again, they mention Mexico and Mexicans in in the movie, yeah. But that is kind of the context you get for it. And I, I, I get it, like, the movie doesn't have to be about that. But, like, if, you, if you're going to use it as... To, ha- to hang character bit like beats on you kind of need to give it more context i think um and like th- th- you can cut out the five minute sandstorm bit to give me a couple bits of exposition or background detail and that's enough you know but it's like you w- you're you want to talk about racism 
but you don't want to represent it. What well, represent the people you're trying mm. to talk about, which the film actually, I hadn't really thought about it until now, does a really piss poor job of. And I think that is definitely something that the they should think about. And I think it's a continual problem yeah. with, you know, you're talking about Indian culture in America, which is extremely important to the history because we wouldn't exist without it and without slaughtering an entire nation's worth of people. So to not actually paying proper due and sort of in great, you know, giving what would be a legitimate representation of the people that would exist at that time. And in the story he is interacting with and dialoguing with is they're really missing a huge beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. This film is making me more disappointed than I'm talking <laughs> about it. I yeah, I just it feels like a fairly mundane film because she's so good at drawing the reader in by having you know these historically accurate news stories talking about the legal ramifications for individuals because of the war, such as land ownership to you know the local and federal politics like you could tell there's so much research into making this world seem as real as she can possibly get it mm-hmm. and who he would have met along the way the different types of people who were living in the areas and what the culture would have been but i feel like they get rid of all of that i mean even to the idea that when he's giving the news readings, very specifically in the book, he says, I do not read local politics because that ignites people's tempers. So <laughs> I want to ignite their imagination. And I'm talking about these far off places so they can kind of get out of themselves and out of what they're dealing with, which he doesn't, he doesn't really do. He does it at the end, I think in that one story, but he doesn't do it at all in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's all about local politics. Yeah. Which is kind of defeats the purpose of like what he's trying to do because news of the world, not news of Texas. <laughs> and I will not forgive the fake freckles that they gave her. Those were the worst drawn freckles I've ever seen on someone. Yeah, I'm, offend- a- I'm an offended as a freckled person. There was a few scenes where it felt like they were either fake or like incredibly heightened in posts to make them <laughs> make them stand out. Um, yeah, that was a slightly unusual choice. I mean, because I, I looked at a picture of her, I was like, maybe she does have freckles like that. And it's just what it is. And I was like, <laughs> no, she doesn't have freckles. And it's just like, it looked like, um, you know, Raggedy Ann. Do you remember that doll? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it was very, sort of... very Halloween costumey freckles. Yeah. Sorry, I've ranted sort of my. <laughs> no, I, 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 I worry Opinion. that you like the film less than when you did it an hour ago. I do! Because <laughs> it's. But it is like the more we talk about and think about these films slash books, the more brings up new ideas and sort of yeah. you know, about it. And for me, what went wrong? Because it does, it feels like an Oscar bait film. And, you know, what I, not to be an insult, but also to be insult by getting these kind of mediocre for hire director slash writer is such a disservice to a really good book because they just want it to be, you know, Worthy, I say in air quotes, but not actually worthy. Worthy enough to get the Oscar people in the Oscars who I would never actually, you know, look to for my film recommendations, but uh, enough to get, uh, you know, a bunch of other white dudes to think it's worth a tiny gold statue. Yeah. 
it feels the movie wants it to feel like a bigger story than it is, but misses the point of how big the story really is. They make it this big action thing with sweeping landscape shots, but really it's a which are beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, 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 totally. But the 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 book is very much about like all of these different cultures, very much like being forced to kind of live in each other's faces and how that kind of bubbles up and doesn't work or can work. Um, the movie movie misses that slightly. I, I want, we're going to do a good one again, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think it's always more interesting if... I, I'd rather it was... I'm glad it's, it's, it is doing something different and trying because I don't know if a scene for scene would have worked... As a movie, I think you do have to make some concessions to make it work as a movie. Um, what would you have done if you were, what would what more, because obviously they simplified down for the film. Mm-hmm. They took away more than adding for the most part. Um, what would you have brought into it to make it more fleshy, I suppose, of a bigger world, really, of a story? Um, honestly, I think, it, let, let's say I could only change one thing about it mm-hmm. to that I think might improve it. Um, I'd have the opening play the same as the book. I think it's a weird choice to have him stumble across her um, and kind of be, have this kind of responsibility thrown upon him. I think the book opening with, with him being presented with, like a, a, fr- a friend of his, someone he knows, approaches him and says, I've been tasked with taking this retrieved captive back to her own living family. It's dangerous for me to travel this route as a black man, given the kind of current climate of America. Will you do this for me? The fact that you establish the climate through like an active present voice rather than stage dressing like really elevates the kind of context and texture for the world and also the fact that you're immediately giving Captain Kidd the kind of onus it's on him whether he kind of accepts this task whether he takes it up whereas the the movie negates that character and the context and spends like three or four separate scenes building to him taking on the responsibility of returning her um I was like, I was, I was really, really surprised that the movie opened and we were immediately changing stuff. Mm-hmm. It seemed like a really, it felt like a change for the, the sake of a change. I don't, I don't get what that added to the movie. I think that would have added a lot more to establishing the world, the politics, him as a person and his relationships with people. Just that one scene would have been great. Mm. yeah they yeah, didn't I'm, need him at the you know reading the newspaper they could have just had that as the opening yeah yeah I, I was like I said I was genuinely really surprised that that they changed that opening it felt like a really great like call to adventure like yeah. <laughs> opening but um yeah here we are I think for me I think yours is a great choice and I totally agree that would have been a great change I think also for me I think a good change because I got rid of his family and I thought establishing instead of doing this like tease about like 
oh, what happened to his wife? Why would he leave her? And he's sleeping with this other woman. Woman, yeah. I thought it was so a little. It was like dumb. It was like reading the audience is dumb. So I think establishing right away in the beginning that he had lost his wife would have shown a little more of like a broken man because of that. And it would have made more sense to their relationship because he had lost someone. Whereas only telling us at the end that he had lost his wife so um, soon into their relationship. Yeah, it was a little bit weird that at the end, it kind of it was more confusing than helping see you know what the purpose of the him and uh, Johanna's relationship was why he needed her yeah agreed I thought it was an, a, a really bizarre choice to like be like hinting at like I left her behind like what yeah. a, a, an unusual choice of words yeah like I say yeah establish it really early on like and properly like I think you can I think you could definitely read into it the fact that his wife is died but the fact that they don't ever directly say it until the end and they're kind of alluding to stuff leaves leaves doubt there which i think is unnecessary i i thought you were going to say i think we should stop watching the movies and just read the books <laughs> we could just do an old-fashioned book club oh my gosh <laughs> you know perish the thought <laughs> it'd be so boring i would have nothing to cl- complain about john if we just to, read the book and to be <laughs> fair to- tom could never come then either yeah. Well, hey, Tom reads plenty of just books. He's um about Great. to read a book, actually. Sorry, a little bit of a tangent. But, you know, what is nothing but a good podcast without lots of tangents? I just read a book that I think you will love that Tom is about to start. I totally think this is going to be turned into a film. The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. <laughs> it, it, I'll be honest. It sounds dreadful. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it is proper horror okay <laughs> but like in the like the deep south and it's like a women's book club and then like a vampire infiltrates them and it gets so gory it's amazing okay i'm looking up is it new uh i think it came out like within the last two years probably 2020 yeah last year she wrote oh no he he wrote um i think the book called horror store i think that was him that was really big when it came out maybe that was Uh, yeah horror story it was like a thing about ikea it is so it's so funny and gross and i would really recommend it but yeah we could do a book club about that so yeah, we could do I'll a, add it another, to my list. Uh, we, I could do a spin-off uh, podcast just about books. <laughs> just books. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to do one, just movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, unless there's anything else, should we do our Rose and Thorns? Yes, let's do that. I feel you can, you can begin us. What have you got for me? Rose? Just, she's a bloody good writer. I mean... <laughs> What I, I picked up, there was like a, a line, um, the, what's it, uh, Doris's character, the wife of Simon, because there's obviously a lot more to the side characters in the book. She says, when talking about Johanna, our first creation is a turning of the soul towards the light. To go through another tears all the making of the first to bits. They are forever falling. Just so like captivating. And just yeah. everything, just the tiny things 
And it is, it's the small moments in life that make a life. It's not the big, you know, getting married, having a baby, you know, all those sort of big steps that you're supposed to do, but it's the little things that make you a person and make your world. So I thought she really captured that, which, yeah, for the film. Well, no, for the book, uh, well, I think it be a thorn of it. Quote, no quotations over dialogue. <laughs> it took me a second to, I realized that's a thing, but I was sort of like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, for the uh, film, The Rose was cinematography i think it was nominated for the cinematography like the person who did the cinematography is quite well known it's an ex it's a ridley scott guy i think oh, yeah, he yeah, works yeah. with ridley scott a lot do, doing um yeah beautifully shot so saving grace was beautiful landscapes looking at the yeah the west i thought that was really stunning yeah and it's not like the acting is bad um no no, no, God, no <laughs> not, not at all not at all but um Someone, though, should drop in an actual Southern accent, I think. In the films, the females, <laughs> but whatever, might be asking too much there. The thorn was just, it lacked substance. There was just no one, I couldn't root for anyone because I didn't know enough about them to care about them. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> your turn. Um, so, um, my rose for the movie, um, even though they were framed differently in terms of what he spoke about, I thought uh, Tom Hanks actually delivering the news stories, his readings, were like really interesting little scenes in and of themselves. Like each one was unique and different from the other times he did the readings. He had like a lot of little characters bits to it which I really liked like him leaning over them with like his glasses held up to read them yeah I really liked like all of those scenes quite a lot um in kind of isolation my thorn for the movie um is more it's more to do with the pacing overall like we discussed it a lot but the fact that they have an obstacle they overcome it and then they're immediately presented with the next obstacle we never mm-hmm. had that kind of valley to our peak, which makes those bigger obstacles feel like big things. But it just felt a bit like unrelenting to the point of like, okay, I'm a bit bored of these constant obstacles now. Where I think if, if they drop one of those and have a few more kind of quieter moments, because it felt like you went from shootout to like um, the. Uh, Erith County shootout almost immediately. I felt like there was like five minutes in between those two shootouts, which didn't feel like the book has one big shootout and then no more shootouts. Yeah. Which is much more interesting, I think. Um, my my thorn for the book is I really liked the kind of epilogue coda chapter at the end which kind of wrapped everyone's yeah. stories up um, but it felt almost like too much like a bow 
mm-hmm. on proceedings. I, I, I really liked everyone. I was quite glad everyone had a fairly kind of nice ending and people who were horrible, like the Hal brothers who wanted to be in the papers ended up in the papers for dying in a shootout. I quite liked how all those kind of things wrapped up, but it felt a little bit too neat considering the rest of it had all worked out. But maybe, maybe that's me. Um, my rose for the book is similar to what you said was just the kind of prose the actual writing of it like was like her style was quite sparse in terms of the actual kind of thickness and meatiness of the actual kind of prose but I think it really works like there's peppering of enough kind of flowery prose or nice turns of phrase or quirks of character or historical reference um to pull you in and pull you through the story, but nothing's kind of verbose or over the top or like dramatically described for unnecessary reasons. Yeah, the prose I thought was was really fantastic throughout. Great. There's definitely an audience for the film, even though I didn't love it. I mean, you liked it slightly more hmm. than I did. Um, yeah, sort of I think in a, inoffensive fair. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think that's almost a bit damning. Like it's, I think that is a compliment. But it's also a bit of a, like, I think if you're like an inoffensive like afternoons movie, for me personally, you're never going to get above like a certain threshold of how much you can do with it. Like, um, it's, a very, it's a very conservative film, I find. It's old fashioned yeah. in the sense of like what is now as mm. when we think about like films, you know, interesting films coming out. It's behind yeah, the time I slightly. D- I do know what you mean. Yeah, very much so. Um, so, and the book, I realize not everyone is going to, like, be inclined to pick it up. But I think if you do just want a really good writer, someone worth knowing about, Paulette Giles, of her 17 books, there must be one of them that you might want to read. So I think it's worth looking into her and, yeah, being aware of that. I, I concur. So thank you for going on this journey as usual, Sean Lucy. Appreciate it. And <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. <laughs> <laughs>